Mr. Selby's. I can recall in every detail the evening I walked back into my own house with a travelling bag in each hand. Behind the counter was John Diviny, leaning forward on the low-down porter dashboard with his fork, his arms neatly folded, and his face looking down on a newspaper which was spread upon the counter. I said that I wanted my dinner, and mentioned my name and station. Then we closed the shop and went into the kitchen, and we were there nearly all night eating and talking and drinking whisky. The next day was Thursday. John Diviny said that his work was now done and that he would be ready to go home to where his people were on Saturday. It was not true to say that his work was done because the farm was in a poor way and most of the year's work had not even been started. I did not mind much because if he was idle-minded and a sparing worker, he was satisfactory so far as company was concerned and he never asked for pay. I did little work about the place myself, spending all my time arranging my papers and rereading still more closely the pages of De Selby. A full year had not passed when I noticed that Diviny was using the word we in his conversation, and worse than that, the word our. He said that the place was not everything that it might be and talked of getting a hired man. I did not agree with this and told him so, saying that there was no necessity for more than two men on a small farm and adding, most unhappily for myself, that we were poor. After that, it was useless trying to tell him that it was I who owned everything. I began to tell myself that even if I did own everything, he owned me. Four years passed away happily enough for each of us. We had a good house and plenty of good country food, but little money. Nearly all my own time was spent in study. Out of my savings, I had now bought the complete works of the two principal commentators, Hatchjaw and Bassett, and a photostat of the De Selby Codex. It was about this time, when I was nearly thirty, that Diviny and I began to get the name of being great friends. For years before that, I had rarely gone out at all. This was because I was so busy with my work that I hardly ever had the time. Also, my wooden leg was not very good for walking with. Then... Something very unusual happened to change all this, and after it had happened, Diviny and I never parted company for more than one minute, either night or day. If Diviny went for a walk on Sunday to a neighbor's house, I went with him, and came home with him again, never before or after him. If he went away to a town on his bicycle to order porter or seed potatoes, or even to see a certain party, I went on my own bicycle beside him. I brought my bed into his room, and took the trouble to sleep, only after he was sleeping, and to be wide awake a good hour before he stirred. Once I nearly failed in my watchfulness. I remember waking up at the start in the small hours of a black night, and finding him quietly dressing himself in the dark. I asked him where he was going, and he said he could not sleep, and that he thought a walk would do him good. I said I was in the same condition myself, and the two of us went for a walk together into the coldest and wettest night I ever experienced. When we returned drenched, I said it was foolish for us to sleep in different beds in such bitter weather, and got into his bed beside him. He did not say much, then, or at any other time. I slept with him always, after that. We were friendly and smiled at each other, but the situation was a queer one, and neither of us liked it. The neighbours were not long noticing how inseparable we were. We had been in that condition of being always together for nearly three years, and they said that we were the best two Christians in all Ireland. They said that human friendship was a beautiful thing, and that Diviny and I were the noblest example of it in the history of the world. 
If other people fell out or fought or disagreed, they were asked why they could not be like me and Diviny. It would have been a great shock for everybody if Diviny had appeared in any place at any time without myself beside him. And it is not strange that two people never came to dislike each other as bitterly as did I and Diviny. And two people were never so polite to each other, so friendly in the face. I must go back several years to explain what happened to bring about this peculiar situation. The certain party whom Diviny went to visit once a month was a girl called Peggy Mears. For my part, I had completed my definitive De Selby index, wherein the views of all known commentators on every aspect of the savant and his work had been collated. Each of us, therefore, had a large thing on the mind. One day, Diviny said to me, "'That's a powerful book you've written, I don't doubt.' "'It's useful,' I admitted, and badly wanted. In fact, it contained much that was entirely new, and proof that many opinions widely held...